rolling hills topped with charming towns, endless vineyards, freshly pressed olive oil, peppery and green, and dogs scouring the woods with their human companions for that most treasured prize, the truffle. No, this isn't Tuscany. It's the hill towns of Istria, Croatia on Destination Eat Drink. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thanks for joining me for Destination Eat Drink, the podcast. My name's Brent Peterson. I'm your host, and this week we're going to be visiting the hill towns of Istria, Croatia. Now, Croatia's been on a lot of travel itineraries lately, but that's mostly due to the popularity of Dubrovnik, the coastal town that's exploded in popularity and tourism in the last few years due to the TV show Game of Thrones. But Istria, Croatia is relatively undiscovered, especially by American tourists. So we're going to give a visit today to the little hill towns of Istria, Croatia, and talk about some of the really interesting and fantastic food in this up-and-coming foodie region. But first, a bit of history. And now, a history lesson. Oh, are we going to get tested on this? Can I borrow a pencil? On Destination Eat Drink. Picture the Adriatic Sea, that north-south running body of water between the east coast of Italy and the west coast of the Balkans. That's where Istria lies, at the far northern tip of the Adriatic Sea. And Istria is small. It's even smaller than Rhode Island. And it juts out into the Adriatic, and just past that to the north is the little country of Slovenia, and past that is Italy. If you go into Italy a ways, you'll hit Venice. And Venice is extraordinarily important to the history of Istria because the Venetian Empire dominated Istria and the whole region for almost five centuries. But later the Venetian Empire falls, the Habsburgs move in, they fall after World War I, and then the fascist expansionist Italian government of the 1920s move in. And they suppress Croatian culture, refuse to teach the Croatian language in schools and exile political prisoners and professionals. And so a lot of resentment wells up in the area of Istria. And after World War II, after the Italians are pushed out and the Nazis are pushed out, the Croatians start to push out the Italians. Now, keep in mind, these Italians, some of them were soldiers, sure, but many of them were just families who were living there, uh, raising children, raising families, making livings, uh, making a living, and uh, working on farms and plying their trades. But 350,000, think about that, 350,000 Italians were forced to flee Istria between the end of World War II and through the 1950s. Some estimates have 20,000 Italians being killed during this time as well. Later, Croatia uh, declared its independence from the country of Yugoslavia, which was really a stitched-together amalgamation of different Slavic people um, that Tito had put together after World War II. But in the early 90s, Croatia declares independence, and the Balkan War, 
which is where a lot of people first heard of Croatia, uh, becomes a bloody, bloody event. Now, Istria itself wasn't involved in any fighting uh, during this conflict because it was uh, so far away from the uh, conflicted areas, mostly between Serbia and Croatia. But uh, it did suffer its own problems during the war as refugees started to pour in. Uh, some Serbians, some Kosovo, um, and uh, other Croatian people who were displaced by the war. This was the war that introduced us to the term ethnic cleansing. But today, uh, Croatia has been peaceful for two decades, and there is still in Istria a very strong Italian influence. Even though a lot of Italians were forced out, some remained, there were some who remained, and um, many of them still speak Italian, their descendants still speak Italian. About 16% or one in six of the people in Istria still speak Italian. And some still claim uh, Italian heritage, although at this point, many of them have intermarried with Croatians. And you'll still see vestiges of that, but also uh, street signs, for example, names of towns. When the Italian fascists came in, they renamed their towns from their Croatian names to new Italian names. And some of them still have the Italian names up on the street signs. In fact, in some areas of Istria, you can almost get by better uh, by speaking Italian than you can Croatian. What to eat? Hey, you gonna finish that? On Destination Eat Drink. One of the best reasons to visit Croatia is for the truffles. And when I talk about truffles, let me clarify, because we're not talking about the little chocolates that you get on Valentine's Day. We're talking about these little fungus that grow underground in symbiosis with hazelnut and oak trees usually and are dug up by dogs. They're extraordinarily fragrant. And they're extraordinarily difficult to find. Uh, you have to go out into the woods, find a particular spot, and some years you can find lots of truffles. Some years you can't find hardly any at all. And that accounts for why truffles are so sought after and so incredibly expensive. Now, in 1999, the largest white truffle in the world was found in Istria by a gentleman named uh, Giancarlo Zigante, him and his dog Diana, uncovered this huge truffle that was almost three pounds. Now, if you imagine that most truffles, even good truffles, are maybe 10 grams, a three-pound truffle is an extraordinary find. And Zigante was a very savvy individual because People were saying, sell the truffle, sell the truffle. If you auction it off, you can get $100,000, $250,000 for it. But instead, what Zagante did was he took the truffle and he put it on display in a restaurant. And he opened this restaurant that is now one of the finest restaurants in all of Croatia. He's uh, created a huge business around his truffle find. 20 years later, he's still in business. Who knows how long that money would have lasted if he would have just, if he would have just put it up for auction. This is why Istria has now become this epicenter for truffles. Because these white truffles, 
are the most sought after of all the truffles. A lot of people who know truffles think that you can only find white truffles in Alba in northern Italy. But in actuality, they also grow in this area of Croatia. And they're just as good and just as sought after and just as expensive. So Zagante opens this restaurant, but he also starts a truffle festival. And it's still going on today. And it's really one of the highlights of visiting Istria if you can go during this time of year. It starts in September when they take a giant truffle and they create this massive omelet. So every year they crack the same number of eggs as is the year. So this year, for instance, 2018 eggs were cracked into this massive omelet pan. It's probably eight, 10 feet across. And then they shave tons of truffle on top of it and serve it. And that kicks off the truffle season in September. But the real highlight is starting then for the next 10 weekends, they have festivals called Truffle Days. And Truffle Days consist of, of course, truffle markets where you can buy truffles, but also uh, chef demonstrations, truffle hunts, speakers who talk about truffles, lots of interesting things going on all over this area of Istria where the truffles are concentrated. But for me, the highlight comes in Bizet in early November when they have a giant truffle marketplace set up underneath a tent. We first discovered it purely by accident. We were driving through Bizet looking for a place to eat, and we saw this giant tent in the middle of town, and I saw a sign that said Tartuffe, which means truffle. So we turned around, pulled into this dirt parking lot, and for five euro we were given admission to the truffle market and a wine glass, which was perfect because lots of Croatian wine was being sampled. And of course, truffles were being sold, uh, not only the truffles themselves, but also tons of truffle products, uh, truffle pate, truffle salt, truffle butter, especially popular in Croatia is truffle honey. So all this stuff was for sale. We were sampling it. We were enjoying it. We even had a truffle meal that was cooked right there on the spot with ravioli, shaved black truffle in a cream sauce. Perfect and delicious. But for me, the most interesting thing in the truffle marketplace was this one guy who was sitting there sampling liquid that looked like milk in an unmarked bottle. And he was trying to convince people to try it didn't have any takers. I looked around and it turned out that it was donkey milk mixed with grappa, which is fire water, basically. Um, I didn't try it <laughs> at that point. I made another round for the marketplace, tried some more truffles, tried some more wine, passed by him again. Still, he didn't have any takers. And I looked at him and he kind of drew me in from his gravitational pull of donkey milk and fire water. And I tried it and it was sweet, surprisingly sweet with a little kick of the alcohol, but the, the milk kind of dampened the taste of that raw alcohol a little bit. In fact, it was quite good. It was delicious. 
and I had another sample and I really enjoyed it. I compare it sort of to Bailey's Irish cream, which is whiskey and cream, of course, with a little, sometimes a little bit of chocolate mixed in there and some other, uh, some other flavorings, but uh, similar enough that you would think, uh, that it's like Bailey's Irish cream. And I still kick myself to this day for not buying some and taking it home with me. But it's a memory that I have of that truffle market that I'll never forget. And if you go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on Hilltowns of Istria, you can see a picture of the vendor selling that donkey milk and crappa concoction. Now, if you're planning on going to Istria, you don't have to go during truffle season. It it lasts it starts in September, but really uh, the best time to go is is early November. Um, but if you don't want to go then, it can be a little bit chilly. You can really go any time of year and enjoy it because the hill towns are always there and they're always interesting and there's always things to do. In fact, people compare uh, Istria today to Tuscany 40 years ago, which I, I don't normally like comparisons like this because uh, generally they don't work. But I'll tell you why this comparison does work in some ways, in some very limited ways. Th there are hill towns. There are hill towns in Tuscany. There are hill towns in Istria. And you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't maybe know if you just saw a picture, you wouldn't know one from the other, maybe. Um, also, it's a up-and-coming wine region, much like Tuscany was in the 70s. Croatia is an up-and-coming wine region, although I think uh, Croatian wines are far ahead of where Tuscan wines were back in the 70s when basically the only thing you could get was bottles of Chianti in those wicker baskets. Also, olive oil is very popular in um, Croatia, in Istria, as well as in Tuscany. Every meal, you'll be served fresh, fruity, green, peppery olive oil when you go to Istria. And it's an incredible treat uh, that you should really enjoy. So there's a similarity there as well. And of course, truffles. Um, they, they hunt black truffles in uh, Tuscany, the so-called Paragord truffles. You usually won't find white truffles there. You can find black truffles. Um, but Croatia has, uh, Istria has, in my opinion, better truffles than Tuscany. Uh, there are black truffles there, and there are the sought-after white truffles. So there is some comparison there. If you kind of want to go back to where Tuscany was before mass tourism took over, Istria might be a choice for you. Motovan is probably the best known and most popular of all the Istrian hill towns. It can be busy sometimes in the summer, but it's still worth a trip. It's unbelievably beautiful and charming, and it's also traffic-free. No cars are allowed, which I think is kind of ironic since Mario Andretti, the famous Formula One driver, is from Montevan. I don't know where he learned how to drive those cars so fast, but it certainly wasn't in Montevan where there's no cars allowed. What you do is you drive partway up the uh, hill, you leave your car in a parking area, and then you hike the rest of the way up to the top of Montevan. And there you can find during truffle season hand-painted signs almost everywhere that say Tartuffe, 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 which means truffles. 
So they're either selling truffles inside or truffles are on the menu. And there's several excellent truffle restaurants in Motovan, including uh, Pod Voltam, Canobo Mondo, Pod Napalm. They're all excellent. They'll all serve you good truffles uh, if you're in town during truffle season. Also nearby is Giancarlo Zagante, the guy who found the world's largest truffle in 1999. His restaurant isn't far away. It's not in Montavon, um, but it's called Restaurant Zagante, and it's in Livad, L-I-V-A-D-E. Another fun thing to do is to uh, book a truffle hunt. In Motovan is Miro Tartufe. They're a truffle store, so you go and you can buy truffles there. You can buy other truffle products, but they'll also book a truffle hunt for you. Um, there, and another good place to do truffle hunting is with uh, Karlik Tartufe, K-A-R-L-I-C. Um, they have their own dogs. They'll take you out on a truffle hunting adventure, which is a lot of fun. Don't expect them to show you all of their secret places for finding truffles. But most of these truffle hunts, um, you get to be outside for a little while. You get to watch the dogs dig up truffles. And then afterwards, they'll take you back and they'll serve you a meal with the truffles that you just found. So maybe some, uh, maybe an omelet with some truffles on it or some pasta with butter and shaved truffles on it. Something simple that really accentuates the flavor of the wonderful truffles that have just come out of the ground. But there's also um, a hill town called Hum, H-U-M. And that's a medieval town, has some interesting stuff but it bills itself as the world's smallest town. It's not, of course, but there's less than 30 people living there. So it's tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, and when you go there, it's just incredibly charming and peaceful. There's exactly one restaurant there, Humska Kanoba, which is very good. But the real reason to go to Hum is just to walk around quietly and just sit and observe and relax. It's really a very beautiful place. Then there's Granzjan, which became an artist colony um, filled with bohemians and hippies and now is filled with artist studios and galleries. And you can go up there and you can visit. You'll see tour buses going up here, so you probably won't be alone. But it's a very interesting place to go because a lot of the artists have their studios just open. The doors are just open. You can peek in. You can even walk in and watch them or talk to them while they work. So it's an excellent place to go if you're interested in art. The only thing is if you decide to go late during truffle season, say in November, um, a lot of the studios may be closed. A lot of them are only open seasonally. So you may only be able to go, say, in the spring and the summer. A lot of them close down and leave for the winter. It doesn't mean they're all closed, but a lot of them are. But my favorite hill town is Momjan. And I call it a hill town, although Mamjan is really just on a ridge in Istria. It's not really much of a hill at all. It's not really much of a town at all. There's no sites there. Uh, there's a church, but every time I've been there, it's been closed. There's a really good restaurant there, Canobo Rhino. Uh, we spent a couple of evenings there. In fact, a funny story, we went in and made friends with the owner, and he was staying. He was 
offering us wine. We sat around. We watched Croatian hockey on TV. He locked the doors to allow folks to smoke inside because smoking isn't allowed in uh, indoors in Croatia. And he kind of kept his eye out for the, I guess it must have been the one cop in the area because the town is way too small to, to have a police force. And just had a wonderful evening connecting with real Istrians and enjoying some wonderful Istrian wine. But the highlight in Mamjan is the Agriturism San Maro. Agriturism is Croatian for agriturismo, which is a B&B on a farm. Agriturism San Maro is on this vineyard uh, where the family makes their own wine. The Sinkoviches make their own wine. They have their own grappa. They have their own rakia which is a Croatian firewater that I'll talk about more in a later episode of Destination Eat Drink. They also have their own fresh-pressed olive oil. You can stay at the B&B. We did for a few nights. It's very relaxing and wonderful. The restaurant is extremely rustic, but with excellent food. It was here during breakfast that I learned about using a twig of rosemary to dip into honey and add to your tea using the rosemary twig as a stirrer that puts the honey into the tea, but at the same time infuses the flavor of the rosemary into the tea. It was a wonderful experience. They're excellent cooks, the Sinkovich family, and we enjoyed our stay all the much more because one of the main attractions is Gigi. Gigi is a 300-pound retired truffle hunting pig that lives in the B&B. You'll see Gigi wandering around. She has her own little place to sleep, but she's very friendly and you can go up and you can pet Gigi and it's all very charming and wonderful in mom jam. Want to drink? I'll have another on Destination Eat Drink. Wine in Croatia didn't have a good reputation until very recently, and you'll still be hard-pressed to find Croatian wine in most uh, liquor stores and wine shops in the United States, but that's beginning to change. Back in the dark days of communist Yugoslavia, most farms that grew grapes were part of government co-ops, and the idea there was to grow as many grapes as possible to make as much wine as humanly possible. And the result of that was extremely low-quality wines that didn't taste good, that didn't last very long, nothing that you would really be interested in trying. But with independence of Croatia came new wine-growing methods and people who were interested in making higher-quality wines. And Istria, in particular, has been doing that over the last couple of decades. Uh, two of the most popular grapes are the red Turan, T-E-R-A-N. It's not really very well known outside of Istria and also uh, Slovenia, where it's grown. Um, I find it to be best with food. I would never sit down with a glass of Turan and just drink it by itself. Um, it's also best to be drunk when it's young. Turan is not a grape that ages well, so you don't want to cellar it, for instance. Uh, you want to you wanna buy it and you want to drink it pretty much right away. The other main grape that you'll find in Istria is a white grape, uh, Malvasia, 
which you may have heard of before. It has several names, other names. It's grown in uh, Italy. It's grown in other parts of the Balkan Peninsula, and it's fairly well known. Um, Malvasia is one of those grape vines that is extremely prolific. It sends out tons of shoots. It makes lots of grape clusters. And when it does that, it makes a very low-quality wine. So what the Istrians had to learn was how to prune back those grape vines, how to uh, get rid of the extra grape clusters to concentrate the flavor on just a few grape clusters. And if you've been growing wine grapes with an intent of getting as many as humanly possible so that you can get as much wine as humanly possible, that, that can be a bit of a hard sell to the farmer and to the vintner. They're saying, why would I want to have one quarter amount of the grapes? Won't I have one quarter the amount of revenue? But the fact is, when you get these high quality grapes where the flavor is concentrated, now you can charge six, eight, 10, 12 times what you did before for a bottle of wine. And now there's very good uh, Malvasia available in Istria. You'll see Istrian wines and Croatian wines on practically every menu in, uh, in restaurants in Istria. It's not hard to find. You'll also see Italian wines. They'll, they'll have international wines as well. But if you go to Istria, focus on the local wines. Even if you don't like the Tehran, at least try it, because then you can say that you did it. Tips and inside information on Destination Eat and Drink. Okay, you're going to Istria, Croatia. Here's a few tips for you. First of all, here's an itinerary. If you're planning on spending a week in Croatia um, and you're not going to Dubrovnik, here's what I would suggest. Uh, fly into Zagreb, which is the capital, you can get flights from just about anywhere in Europe and spend a couple of days there. It's a very interesting city. There's a cool cafe culture there. It's a fun place to hang out. And then rent a car. If you're going to Istria, you're going to need a car. There's really not any public transportation. The towns aren't big enough. Uh, bus service is spotty at best. There's no real rail service. You have to have a car if you're going to go from town to town in Istria. Um, you could do Istria in two days, I would say. You could visit the, each of the hill towns, drive through them, get a quick idea of what's going on. I prefer to use Istria as a place to relax, decompress, enjoy the surrounding rolling countryside and stay for a few days longer than that. Then, uh, if you have more time, you can drive to Slovenia and go to Ljubljana which we'll feature in another edition of Destination Eat Drink. Spend a couple of days there and then drive up to Lake Bled, which is incredibly beautiful, incredibly picturesque and charming and a wonderful place to visit. So there you go. Those would be the places that I would go on a uh, Istrian itinerary from Zagreb to the Istrian hill towns. Uh, to Slovenia, Ljubljana, and Lake Bled. You can make that into a uh, five-day to a two-week itinerary. Now, if you're planning on going during truffle season, here's what you need to know if you're going to buy truffles. First of all, they have to be fresh. 
Truffles, as soon as they get dug up from the ground, immediately start to lose some of their wonderful aroma and flavor. You see occasionally truffles in American grocery stores. Stay away from those. They turn hard. They lose their flavor. If you're going to buy truffles in the United States, make sure that they are uh, just dug up which is hard to do, but you can do it. Uh, make sure they're just dug up and flied over, flew, flown over immediately to the United States, and then that you use them the same day that you get them. Don't put them in the refrigerator and say, I'm going to save them for a special occasion. The special occasion will be a disappointment because if you wait too long, the truffles will not have any flavor. They'll also get hard. It's just not worth it. My advice is instead of buying the fresh truffles, is to buy some truffle product, all right? And first and foremost, that doesn't mean truffle oil. Truffle oil is the devil, okay? Truffle oil does not have any truffles in it. It has chemical compounds that are made when you uh, process petroleum products. That's why if you've ever driven along the New Jersey Turnpike and you open the window and it stinks and then you think, Oh, well, that kind of smells like a truffle. That's why. Those are the chemicals that they're using to put into truffle oil. There's no truffles in there. Don't buy truffle oil. Don't get it on a restaurant menu. Don't get truffle fries. Don't get truffle mashed potatoes. Last night I was in a restaurant. They had a mushroom pizza with truffle oil on it. Don't get it. It's bad. All right. And it gives truffles a bad name. Instead, you can get things like truffle cheese. Um, which has real specks of black paragord truffle in it usually. Uh, you can get truffle salt as long as it has real truffles in it. Um, and you can get truffle pate, which is like ground up truffles, sometimes with uh, cream or sometimes with mushrooms or both. Those are all legitimate truffle products. Just make sure you read the label and says, and it says that it's made with real truffles. If it says truffle aroma, then you know that it's not real truffle, that it's made with chemicals. Don't buy that. There are lots of excellent truffle shops in Istria. Zagante, the guy who found that giant truffle in Istria, he has several, several shops in Istria, and you can go in and you can buy all kinds of truffle products in there, and they're generally very high quality. Uh, Miro, Miro Tartuffe and Motovan is also uh, very good. Now, if you're thinking of uh, buying a whole truffle, a fresh truffle, and bringing it back with you to the United States, here's what you need to know. I looked on the custom guide uh, for the United States government, and it doesn't mention anything about truffles specifically. But from what it says about agricultural products, here is what I would say. The best way, if you're planning on bringing truffles back, is to have them vacuum sealed first. So if you can, where you buy them from, if you can have them vacuum seal the truffles, then I think you'll be fine getting them through customs. Uh, you'll probably want to declare them upon arrival, but uh, you should be allowed to bring the truffles in. And here's another thing about customs. If you're bringing back wine or olive oil, you can do it. You're allowed to do it. In fact, you can bring back just about as much wine as you want as long as it's for personal consumption. But 
the limit for duty-free wine is just one liter per person. And most bottles of wine are 750 milliliters, three quarters of a liter. So if you're looking to avoid duty, then you can only bring in one bottle of wine. Um, But here's the thing. You can bring in as many bottles as you want for personal use. You just declare them at customs. And you might say, well, then I'm going to have to pay this giant tax bill when I when I go through customs. Not really. Uh, duty winds up being like one or two dollars per bottle. And in a lot of cases, if you don't have a, a lot, if you say, well, I've got four bottles of wine or six bottles of wine or whatever it is, a lot of times the customs guy will just um, wave you through. Say, you know what? That's fine. Don't worry about it. It doesn't always happen that way. All right. That's not a hard and fast rule. But a lot of times it does go that way because they don't want to collect $5 for your for all the paperwork that they have to fill out. So declare it. You don't want to be caught with not de- declaring something at customs. Then you can get into real trouble and you can get fined. But you declare it and then you can bring back as much wine as you want. Same goes for olive oil. Now, the thing is, Bringing back wine into the U.S. Um, is, from a legal standpoint, is fairly straightforward. From a from a logistics standpoint, is a little bit more difficult. And here's why: wine bottles, of course, are made of glass. So you put them in your luggage. You're taking a risk. Here's what I do: um, there's a product called Wine Wings, and I use it myself. And it's a wine bottle shaped bubble wrap. And you slip the bottle of wine inside there. You uh, seal the zip top uh, end. And then it has a Velcro flap that you fold over. So it keeps the wine safe. And if, God forbid, it happens to break, it doesn't ruin all of your luggage on the inside because it's sealed tight. I use it for wine and I use it for olive oil, and it's a great option for you. If you don't use wine wings, uh, the other way to do it, the way I used to do it for years before I discovered wine wings, was I just would very carefully roll up the wine bottles in my dirty laundry. So slip them, slip uh, the bottle into a sock and then roll it up in a pair of pants and then wrap a shirt around it. Make sure it's, you know, really, really secure. It's got plenty of padding on all sides. And usually I never had a problem. I, I had a couple of cases where there, there were issues that happened and I was upset. But for the most part, that method will work for you just fine. That's it for this week's Destination Eat Drink, the podcast, and I hope you join me next week for another great foodie adventure. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 